I've been doing so much of today's uh, word of the day, today's topic, that I had to buy myself a toy in order to stop it from happening. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to ask what kind of toy, darling. Only a handheld game games console, it's fine. <laughs> oh, lovely. Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's T for thinking. Yeah, so I've picked this topic because I was partly inspired by the uh, the Shakespeare quote from Hamlet. You know, there is nothing either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. And I am, you know, painfully aware of my, on a personal level how, you know, rumination and repetitive thinking and even intrusive thoughts can impair our quality of life. You know, I had the last week two weeks I have been mostly bed bound um, due to my chronic health condition and various things have been running through my head and just noticing how my mood is affected by my thinking and how my thinking affects my mood and so when I saw that uh, tea was coming up it seemed kind of like the the obvious thing to choose really because one of the things that I found in particular, well, I mean, this is an experiment. We've got to start right off the bat. You know, if you have a, a scrap of paper in, beside you, or even if you don't, you can just kind of like imaginarily write this on the palm of your hand with your other finger. Is there something that you believe about yourself? You know, it could be, you know, oh, I'm, I'm smart or I'm clever, or it could be I'm an idiot, I'm foolish. <laughs> I would imagine for most people are going to say the latter one. And so, you know, write it down on a piece of paper if you've got one or on, on the palm of your hand, if not. And then, you know, place this hand or this piece of paper in front of your eyes and just see how much you can see around this piece of paper, around your hand, around this particular thought that you're having about yourself. And I think that's the thing, you know, our thinking is, can be a filter for how we see the world. There's a, a lovely story about Mike from Michael Neal. I forget where he tells it now. It was just back when he was an actor and he was doing a scene with a woman and he had to pretend that she was married to him. So he took his wedding ring off to, to give to her to use as a prop. And then, you know, did the scene. I think it was like an audition, you know, left or whatever. And he was on, on the tube going home and going, oh shit, I left my wedding ring behind. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. I was just like, Nina is going to kill me. You know, dashing back, trying to find her, this, this, this woman. And then he gets there, they were saying, but like, dude, what's on your hand? And it was this whole thing, you know, he was so caught up in his thinking that he hadn't even realized that he'd actually had taken the ring back and put it back on. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's that real thing of it can, our thinking can really blind us and obfuscate what's going on because it is this perceptual filter. You know, we are only able to take in, you know, a certain amount of stimuli, you know, a certain amount that's being processed. And, you know, I, I was, was talking to someone about this and I know I've mentioned it on, on, on here before, you know, Will Storr's Science of Storytelling. You know, he talks about how up until a certain point in adolescence, we are world builders taking in information. But after that, we are world defenders. You know, we want to dismiss anything that doesn't conform or confirm the story that we have. And this is where these kind of blinkers 
can come through. There's uh, no good music after um, we turn 30. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Well, is there, there's something about technology as well, like everything that was invented before we were 30 is exciting and everything that was that came after is is scary and not to be trusted. And confusing, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I think there's, you know, I th- I'm just thinking now about, you know, where does thinking come in the hierarchy of our experience? You know, I'm, and you know, Lisa Feldman Barrett, who is a psychologist and has a very different approach to emotion, suggests that you know they are um, constructed and part of, and our thinking process is what influences them. You know, we have a certain experience, you know, what she calls valence. Something happens inside us and we either want to move towards it or away from it. And then all of these stories kind of get laid onto it. You know, we have these sensations. Then comes, you know, some of these primary emotions. And then, you know, feelings are actually what happens when you add thinking to emotions. (laughs) So... Can we can we help me understand? I'm sure the listener is fine with this, but <laughs> can we help delineate feelings from emotions? Mm. Kind of emotions are things that derive directly from our sensations, and mm-hmm. so feeling anger and sadness. But um, feelings are things that are mitigated by emotion. So loneliness, for example, right. You know, okay. that's a feeling mm-hmm. uh, because there is, this, there is we have a, a bodily sensation which we then interpret with our thinking of, oh, it's because of, whether mm. that's conscious or unconscious. You know, there's a whole thing. Then we also get into the, the whole realm. This is something in nonviolent communication. There's a lot of things on, you know, feelings and needs. And we have, you know, feelings arise, they say, from whether our needs are being met. And of course, there needs to be a process for us to understand, to, to, to judge whether our needs are being met. And that tends to be, you know, the thinking. And then, you know, this idea of pseudo feelings is actually, I know it's a new one to me as well. Um, whereas we think, you know, um, a feeling uh, taken advantage of, for example, that's not a feeling, that's a judgment. And I'll put in the show notes a whole thing where it, they have some wonderful charts where, because like looking at through all of the um, the lists of you know what's an emotion, you know how do you what are these needs when the, when how do we feel when they are met and when they're not met, and then all these words which we use so frequently to talk about how we're feeling, which are actually not feelings but are judgment and often you know intended to uh direct blame in some way towards another party (laughs) yes i'm feeling right now uh as if um star of 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 the internet roscoe cat (laughs) i'm feeling as though i want to kick him into next week because he chose exactly the moment that i hit record to make it about him 
That's what I'm feeling. <laughs> and can, can, can I just say, like, listener, I have been trying to keep the thread of my thoughts You've while so Roscoe well. has been You've snuggling so well. Mark's microphone, headbutting him. <laughs> all I can, all I've been able to see for the last four minutes has been Roscoe. To be honest, Mark has been hidden by this black and white, gorgeous, fluffy cat who has decided that he has something to contribute, and clearly he yes. is doing so. Absolutely. You know. Yep. <laughs> when we have these opportunities for making choices, you know, uh, one of my favorite um, acceptance and commitment training uh, teachers, Russ Harris, has this thing it's called like a choice point. You know, there'd be like a situation um, which triggers particular feelings and think and thoughts, and we can either move towards uh, behaviors which are. Um, towards how we want to be in the world and close to our values you know and these can be overt and covert you know these are things that you can actually see you know physically doing things as well as you know covert you know if I was going to listen into your mind you know kind of thoughts the things you're telling yourself or we can actually end up moving away you know trying to avoid suffering by numbing ourselves or by beating ourselves up you know, all of these things. And so it's, it's, it's when we have, you know, talking about thinking, you know, a lot of it, you know, I can be sitting in the sunshine in the nature area, you know, not far from my flat, not a care in the world. And then I can suddenly think, oh shit, I forgot to email so-and-so and nothing has changed. I'm still sitting on that bench, still surrounded by beautiful nature. The sun is shining on my skin, feel the breeze in, in, in my hair, and everything feels completely different because that one thought has changed my inner landscape. And it may, you know, and if I'm fe- and I can take, have that, that moment of choice, then I can go, okay, so do I go home, do that thing, you know? Do I talk to myself kindly and go, it's okay, we all make mistakes, we forget things, we'll do it when we get home? Is it something where I go, I try and block it out, and then when I get home, I don't deal with it even then? (laughs) Because, you know, there's a whole thing about procrastination, which is actually, you know, there's a lot of it is about self-esteem and not wanting to trigger consequences. You're not feeling resourced enough to do such things, you know. And but a lot, and a lot of that is, you know. For, for example, just a couple of days. No, yesterday, yesterday, I opened a pile of envelopes that I've had since like beginning of December. Mm-hmm. That pile of envelopes. The only thing that was stopping me was my thinking around them. Mm-hmm. Was my yeah. thinking of these and en- these envelopes contain information that I don't want to deal with. You know, when I opened them, it's actually fine. But it was the thought that actually stopped me. And, you know, if you think about, well, there's lots of lots of people and lots of different figures quoted on the Internet about how many thoughts we have per day. You know, but I, I picked up on a, a 2020 study using fMRI with 184 participants with an average age of about 29. And they did a thing where they tested for the transitions, you know, because it's quite hard to see with, with any kind of accuracy or to even rely on people to record accurately how many thoughts they have. Yeah. 
And so it was so these are little little impulses they could see in the brain where the brain was just kind of like moving from one thing to another. And they, they suggested like an average of about 6.5 transitions per minute. And so the, the brain going from one thing to another to another. Every and 10 seconds. Yeah, well, it kind of it translates to around about 6,000 a day, you know, if, if you have like about eight hours sleep. But it's also interesting that the same research was looking into the effect of um, neuroticism, you know, which is shown up on the ocean personality test, which is, I think, ocean optimism, the openness, conscientiousness, um, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. I, I'll be honest with you. I sort of don't trust acronyms that work too well because I'm like, <laughs> how much hammering have you done to get that to fit? You know what I mean? Like what's missing? Because it will be like ocean, you know, like with an L or something. But oh, no, you know, that one doesn't fit the algorithm. That one doesn't fit the, the acronym. So we'll just leave it off. Well, there's quite a few that that have have like weird acronyms. Trust me. Yeah. So I think I think that's very legit. And obviously, each of those, um, the five that I've just listed. They, they actually contain other things within them. Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, there's a certain thing that, and there's a bit of argument about what ne- actually constitutes neuroticism. You know, mm. some say it's, it is, you know, being um, more easily and negatively aroused and taking longer to return to homeostasis. Others say it's about having um, more, pr- being more prone to worry, depression and anxiety. But, you know, one of the things that did show was that if you are more prone to um, those things, um, you are going to have a noisier mind and more easily distractible because they actually did two tests. And one of them was measuring people while they're watching movie clips. And even at, you know, at rest or watching the movie clips, people with um, a higher analysis, uh, analysis of, of, of neuroticism, more, more prone to it, had a higher rate of transitions and were more easily distractible. And so I think that's the thing as well. You know, we talk about mindfulness and meditation and how it's a panacea for all ills. And so many people, you know, we don't all, let's first thing off, we don't all start off on the same playing field. I think this research shows some people have, you know, maybe only three transitions a minute or whatever. Some people who are very settled, a thought comes through their head, they go, huh, and then they carry on. Other people, it's just like, you know, that old um, screensaver on computers at the Starfield with all the little dots of light. Mm. Some people's minds are probably like that. It's just like loads and loads of dots. I think I'm more like the pipes one. Oh, oh I love that one. Which always reminds me of the start of the uh, Monty Python's uh, Flying Circus. Oh, God, yes, it does. I've never made that link before. Cool. But yeah, th- and I think not, so not only do we have a different starting point, but also people, when they when they first learn to meditate, go, well, my mind is still busy. My mind is still noisy. I, I can't do this right. And actually, it's that thought that they constantly have that thought during meditation as well, which <laughs> like adds to it. The metacriticism. The metacriticism. And actually, you know, it's not about, you know, si- that those things aren't to silence the mind. It's to, because that's a dead man's goal. You know, so Russ Harris puts it. You know, the only person who has a completely quiet mind is someone who's dead. You know, we can't exert that much control, you know, for the average person. But what we can do is 
you know, recognize that we are the space where these thoughts are happening. We are the page on which these words are written. We are not the words themselves. We can change our relationship to them. We can be a compassionate observer and recognize that we are the context for these thoughts rather than the content. And so when when I was thinking about the prompts for today, you know, these are, you know, simple starting points to help us check our thinking. You know, nothing's going to be a complete answer, but this idea which I've, you know, stolen from a lot of this is going to be stolen from Michael Neal, to be fair. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. put lots of links for him in the in the show notes. TM, um, TM, TM. TM, TM. Yes. Um, is this idea of more full stops, fewer commas. Because this is the thing when, I, and I know this for myself with my thinking, it can be that I'm feeling crappy today because dot, 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 dot. And that's all the story. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes, you know, just being able to just stop at the, you know, I'm feeling whatever today, full stop. And just being with that rather than adding further story. Uh, And so uh, what I think would be nice then um, is to perhaps return to the exercise um, that uh, that you gave us at the the beginning. um, Because what that made me think about is something that we've done... Oh, we did a few weeks or a few episodes back, which mm. is um, about the story that I'm telling myself. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I like it when these two things combine about taking something that we think about ourselves and being able to say, this is the X, this is my X story. Um, but yes. also the, the the power of of being able to look at that at a normalized distance away and then keep keep it further away and you know sort of keep it in your vision so um yeah i i I, that feels like a a good thing a good connector for our our first prompt yeah it is you know and this this phrase what is the story i'm telling myself this is one which you know is is is, i've picked up from Brene brown and it is you know ties in with a bit of a cbt maxim of you know thoughts aren't facts I think that is one of the, I don't want to say the biggest challenges, but certainly I know for myself when I am facing things which feel permanent, personal, and pervasive, mm-hmm. you know, to use the older Martin, Martin Seligman um, learned helplessness, helplessness thing, um, it feels like the stuff that I'm thinking is a hundred percent true yeah you know things are the way they are i have uh, a frankly unenviable grasp on reality which means that you know i i, I can see these things um, yeah, even I if it, it. <laughs> yeah I, absolutely. I, I get it i see what's going on <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know this idea of you know what you know what is the story i'm telling myself now, this is given to Brene Brown. I remember reading it in one of her earlier books. Um, I think it was Daring Greatly because um, it was given to her by her therapist as a way to help her in her in her marriage. And there's like a great story of her in one of the books talking about swim. I remember ah, I was attending, it must have been for Daring Greatly, and it ended up in her book Rising Strong because I remember her telling this story live of being swimming in a lake with her husband Steve 
and she was trying to make conversation with him, you know, the first time of being away and having a lovely day and stuff. And he was, he wasn't, wasn't making eye contact. He was very within himself. You know, his answers were one word and one word or monosyllabic. She got to the pier and it was like the story she was telling herself was, I no longer look any good in my Speedos. Mm. You know, it is all about how I look. And they had a bit of an argument and it turned out that he was terrified because he'd seen people using motorboats in the lake. And so Mm. he was constantly trying to check that the kids were going to be safe yeah, like, yeah. Like, checking like, the exits. Checking the exits, you know, but we do tend to, in those situations, you know, jump to conclusions. I mean, we, we, I think we spoke about this maybe in our last in the last podcast about how we are afraid of things being confirmed, about ourselves being confirmed by others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we have all these little things where, you know, if, for example, one of the ones that I have is that you know, if I reach out to people, I have a fear of being needy, mm-hmm. you know, and so I can take someone's again, you know, talking about that piece of paper earlier on with like a belief about myself, you know, hold it over my eyes, and that's the filter through which I see the world and I respond to things in my world through this thought of I am needy, therefore, blah 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 blah. I need to do X Y Z to overcompensate, to to hide it, to. Um, negate my own needs you know to, in our, uh, so I can offset that sort of thing one of the, the things that I wanted to um, sort of make quick mention of in the realm of thorn- thoughts aren't facts mm. is one of the things that's helped me is sort of um, yeah I think the, the idea that thoughts aren't facts has helped me disassociate from the world of intrusive thoughts because I've you know I have I'll just put the tiger out on the table and yell at it. I have, (laughs) from time to time, dark and then also inappropriate thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, um, and you know, there's there's dark thoughts. I think we all have dark thoughts from time to time. Mm. But like ones where you just go, and when you believe them, when you believe that that makes, like, and I think that's one of the things that's been ingrained in me for a long time is Mm. thinking that I actually think those things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's like the, the thought arises and then the problem is you think well i must think that then if i've just had the thought that i must think that <laughs> oh there's a wonderful thing by and I, and I don't know whether i can quote it exactly verbatim but the lovely line in uh um michael neal's tedx talk why aren't we awesome and he talks about mm-hmm. thoughts and he says just because you have a thought in your head doesn't mean it's real doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't even mean it's what you think. It just means that there's a thought in your head. Yeah. And it's exactly. like, and I think, you know, I used, you know, there are various schools of thought about why thinking comes up. And for me, I'm just, and I think I might have mentioned it here before now, I'm just going to say they're brain farts. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because this is the output of, of our digesting experiences. I was thinking of it like a, you know, like a twitch sometimes, you know, like, um, if you've ever had like an involuntary spasm, you know, it's just like the brain just sort of for a moment just goes Bleep! and it's Bleep! like, oh, oh, that was a, that was unexpected. Wait, oh, okay. And, and if, if you can, cause you're not always going to be able to like some of them you can lightly toss away. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a bit like I'm sure everybody's uh, had this 
it's it's no different really from the phantom um depends where you put your phone but i put my phone in my uh right uh front trouser pocket and you get sometimes you get the phantom uh vibration yeah um i don't know if it happens quite so much now but you know i think people talked about it for a while that, that people thought they got a text message and it was just this uh little spasm or whatever and it's how different really is it you know when you get a, a, an intrusive thought how really different is it from from you know you thinking you've just had a text message yeah yeah exactly exactly and i think this is kind of you know one of the things which you know Brene brown talks about because she actually in her book rising strong has a whole process you know built around this question of you know what's the story i'm telling myself you know which which touches in on you know as an invitation to think, you know, what is our, what are the emotions that I'm feeling around this? You know, what are the assumptions I'm making? You know, and these kind of thoughts always make me think of, you know, the Pema Chodron quote, you know, um, what else is true? You know, and I think that leads us on very nicely onto the next prompt, which is, is it true? And, you know, I'm going to take, I, I'm going to confess now, people, you know, if you go to the show notes, you know, I did very diligently put some links to some actual papers, but now we are taking a gentle stroll down woo-woo land towards something which it hasn't had any scientific verification. And I'm, and I'm flagging this up. <laughs> Mark is cracking his knuckles ready. Um, but it is such a useful framework for just starting to limber up and to get into this kind of space. And so, you know, Byron Katie, the work, she has a free um, little worksheet you can download on her website. Very easy. But it's, it's captured in this little phrase, you know, judge your neighbor, write it down, ask four questions, turn it around. I hate and- that so much. <laughs> I it's know, so I know. White picket fence, like parochial American. Like I hate all of that. Like the cutesy little rhyme. I hate all of it. Please, like, help me rinse the goodness out of it because I hate it. <laughs> well, the first thing is, you know, it's 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 kind of tying in with like the the Brene Brown stuff. You know, kind of like what the assumptions I'm making. Very often, you know, I think that a lot of us have challenges in our lives because we believe someone hasn't hasn't done something or has done something which pisses us off hurts us etc etc can i can i very quickly bring it bring it around to mark mark stedman's uh, pop culture hour this is how mark understands the world Um, (laughs) thinking about rimmer in (gasps) red dwarf yes and how and, and Lister really pulls him up on this. Like, I never quite got the right binder or whatever it was. You know, that was always the reason. There was always someone. And, and I think even even Rimmer says, it like, there's someone always holding me down, pulling me down, pulling me back. I think that's a direct quote. It's always someone else. Um, yeah. And, and, and you know, what's, what's really interesting is that they show right at the very first episode, actually, mm. how much he just got in his own head and how much it was all about him because he would take all these exams and he would study so hard uh, and then he would self-sabotage yeah. and fail the exam. Um, but it was always someone else's fault. It was always about um, the, the, the management not letting him succeed or him yeah. never having the right start in life, you know, uh, apart from the fact that his three brothers are all officers or whatever, you know, it's always yeah. someone else's, is, and, is, and, is, you know. 
And wasn't it in like the alternative world, like his version in the alternative world, like really successful, you know, smoke weed. Ace Rimmer. Yes. Yeah. You know, like the same thing. But again, you know, Rimmer was very much judgmental, self-critical and self-sabotaging because of his thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the perfect example. And so this idea of judging the neighbor, you know, and so, you know, writing it down. So, you know, so, you know. Who, who is so it could be let's, let's let's keep using Rimmer as an example so Rimmer might say you know my manager is holding me back and so these are the four questions you know is this true and it's kind of like well to know maybe might not no is it and the second question is is it really true <laughs> I like that I like that invitation yeah <laughs> is it it's just like more questions should come up with the second question should really though <laughs> really though yeah, yeah you know and, and actually it's not about kind of um whether it's true or not because i've seen byron katie like talking to someone about something which is quite you know painful and serious and saying you know yeah you know it's not about whether it's it's you know true is it is it, is it, is it really true you know this is the two final questions you know the first one is how do you feel when you have that thought you know, and so if a rim are feeling that they're, they're being thwarted by our manager, you might feel frustrated, angry, self-righteous, judgmental, irritated, you know, defeated. And then the fourth question is so simple. It is, how do you feel when you don't have that thought? And, and that can actually be a really hard one because when people get really caught up in that, that third question of how do I feel when I have that thought? Mm-hmm. Because that that point you know, while the first two questions might have softened us up a little bit, is it true? Is it really true? You know, people get quite stuck in this whole thing of, you know, how do I feel when I have the thought? And because I did this with a friend once, and I say, you know, how do you feel when you don't have that thought? She was kind of like, I don't understand the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm same. Like I, I sort of, I, I, yeah, I, I can very much identify with question three, and I, yeah. I sort of went through a kind of metacognition thing of like, what do I feel about myself having that thought? And it's like. I don't like that because it makes me feel like someone who has a chip on his shoulder. It makes me feel like someone who's ungrateful. Um, Yeah. You know, those kinds of things, um, as opposed to the sort of first layer of that, which, you you know, you you pointed out, which is like, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm all these things. Mm. Um, But then I find it difficult to connect with the last one because are we talking about what is the state that you live in when you're not feeling... Well, I'm just, I'm just, well, I'm, I'm, now I'm just literally thinking, you know, say if I change topic completely and we talk about something that you really love mm. or you start watching a film when you're not having that thought. Okay, that and helps. So, so it's it's that kind of, you know, it's just noticing that we are responding to the thinking, mm. you know, because it, it is, it, it's in that, it's almost like a trick question. How do you feel when you have that thought? Because it's it's separating it out. It's saying that this is just a thought. And even neutral is better. Because, yeah, if, you know, if, if, if the answer is oh, just like nothing, well, that's probably better than mm-hmm. all these negative emotions that you were feeling beforehand. So even if, like, what you come back with is, I don't know, nothing, I'm just doing the dishes or whatever. Yeah. That's still better than feeling resentful. <laughs> yeah, but also it kind of shows that there are times when you're not having having that thought. Oh, sure. You know, yeah, that, that, yeah. It, that it's a transitory thing, mm. oh. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, because that goes, touches back on the permanent part of the permanent personal pervasive. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think, I think, I think my brain just went ping. 
I think I saw that on your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely sight. Um, and 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 then like the last thing of that of that um, white picket um, phrasing, <laughs> you know, turn it around. Because this is trying to tap into, I think, you know, the Pema Children thing of what else is true. So, like, if we're using Rim as the example still, you know, because he, he might think to turn it around might be to say, my manager is supporting me, you know, or things like, um, I'm the one who's holding me back, you know. So you're actually then realising by taking the components and literally, like, walking around them, inverting them, moving around this can be a thing where um i remember seeing byron katie talking to someone who was struggling with oh she was very upset about um the world response to uh poverty and hunger and she was being very angry about it and when she was turning it around she realized did she discovered that part of what she was upsetting her was because she was starving herself and so it's these kinds of um again you know it sounds so trite to have that summation that little rhyming thing but actually when you start asking those four questions you know f- first of all it is you know allowing yourself to judge someone you know writing it down actually putting it in black and white so then it separates it out from yourself asking these questions you know is it true is it really true how do i feel when i have this thought how do I feel when I don't have this thought? And actually just registering the difference and the transitory nature of your experience when you have this specific thought you've, that you've written down and then using it as a launching pad for self-awareness, for uh, exploration, to actually going, okay, so I'm looking at things through this particular lens. What if I take the glass out and flip it? Mm-hmm. What if, you know... The, the, I turn the binoculars the other way around or whatever, how you have it, you know, <laughs> oh, that sure, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. That's why, yeah, that's why I included it, even though there's no scientific basis whatsoever. And talking of no scientific basis whatsoever, I'm <laughs> going to continue in that line because I think, you know, I've, we've been touching on this a little bit. I've been foreshadowing it like a good one, uh, but this is the last prompt now. You know, am I feeling my thinking? And this comes from, you know, kind of, well, there was this guy called Sid Banks, who they call the Enlightened Welder. And Who, by the way, I mm. I want to, in my head canon, as the kids call it, mm. um, in my internal universe, I very much want to believe that him and Billy Connolly knocked around. <laughs> because I feel like they might have been similar ages, and they were both welders, Mm. Um, the question is, uh, and, and I, I have it in my head. I might be wrong. I might be thinking of Billy Connolly, but was Sid Banks from Glasgow? Um, he might have been originally, but he went. He moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, I don't. So I. So, um, so he might. Have, and I think Sid Banks probably would be older than a lot older than Billy Connolly. Oh really? Cause, oh yeah. I think because okay. Sid Sid passed away a few years ago. Yeah, Billy Connolly's knocking away. But either way, yeah. Um, I I just I because there are some interesting fun similarities my brain just enjoys getting those two people together <laughs> okay okay well and, and and it's interesting i mean now, now you're making my brain do it because i know that um billy Collinley's partner and wife you know pamela stevenson is mm-hmm. a sex and relationship therapist and actually sid banks was having at um a retreat with his wife i think in the 70s having marital difficulties which it was where you know 
he was talking uh, legend has it you know he was you know i i i, I don't know if how how true this is but the the sources i have read that suggested it is you know he was bitterly complaining about how bad his life was to one of the fellow participants and they were kind of doing the one upmanship thing <laughs> of oh no i'm no my life is much worse than yours oh no man and this other guy was a psychologist a psychiatrist and at some point this guy just turned around to him, possibly over a bottle of beer, and went, "Dude, so, Sid, you know, you know, you're not depressed. You just think you are." And <laughs> Sid yeah. heard that on a level which was much more than than we've just heard it now, because yeah. for him, you know, he had actually read some, you know, in, been into spirituality, you know, you know, he was on a path already, and he had basically had an enlightenment moment. Mm-hmm. You know, where he just suddenly realized that thought was the missing link because, you know, this is, it's gone through lots of different name changes. It's, 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 it's worse than like a band lineup of, you know, it's uh, the psychology. sugar babes of positive psychology. Oh, it is, it is, you know, it started off as like, you know, the psychology of mind and then this, that, and the other. And it's finally settled as something called the three principles over which, yeah, which you know, are Keisha, uh, <laughs> Mutia. <laughs> But yeah, but who's the third one? Because it depends on which, <laughs> no, which, I which. Remember. I know, I know. I'm amazed. I pulled those two out of my brain. Was she the first one? To, to could leave? could be, could be. It is. I mean, it's it's triggers broom handle. They, you know, they they seem to be the same band, but all three members have changed. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, triggers Sorry, broom. Sorry, this is just having fun now. Yeah, yeah. Tri- for anyone who doesn't understand the broom handle thing, it's triggers <laughs> broom ah. from. For only fools, only and, fools horses, and horses, horses. Yeah, it's got. It's replaced the head several times, replaced the handle several times, but obviously it is. It's a ship of Theseus, basically, isn't it? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, the idea of these uh, basic principles for to explain our existence, you know, mind, consciousness, and thought, and so mind being this universal consciousness, the sort of thing that turns an acorn into an oak tree. And allows you know cuts to heal you know without being in, if they are not hampered in some way this this energy of aliveness you know that 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 permeates the the consciousness aspect is our ability to be aware of these things you know to be aware of the aliveness and this con- level of consciousness can go up and down you know I know for myself when I'm feeling quite low and crappy my level of consciousness means that everything feels really real you know my thinking feels really real etc etc whereas when I'm feeling more expansive more relaxed more in tune with myself you know I can have more perspective literally on things and can see how my thinking is part of a kaleidoscope of what's happening for me and then the last one is thought which is as he put it, like the um, the missing link, the creative play-doh, which means that things that are in this unconscious realm, this 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 energy, um, become manifest. And this is like something that will interest you, Mark. In, you know, become manifest through thinking. You know, it's kind of I'm trying to think of the best way that uh, Michael Neal puts it. Consciousness is the cinema that we're sitting in. Uh, the light of consciousness is coming through the projector and our thinking is the actual film. And that, but we're actually just watching. It's not a real thing we're watching. It's just these our thoughts being illuminated by consciousness. And you can just sum it up as, you know, we are alive, we are aware, 
and we sing. But the reason why I'm bringing this into the, the close of this now is this idea of, you know, thinking with a capital T and a small t. And again, you know, it's, I'm going to steal this from, from Michael Neal, who st- steals it from George Bernard Shaw. Because like so much of our the noise, you know, going back to the beginning of this podcast, you know, back all those hours ago, um, we're talking about how we can have such a noisy mind. And, you know, very often, and we're talking about them being brain farts, our brain just having little spasms, you know, just because you have a thought in our head doesn't mean it's real, doesn't even mean it's what we think, it just happens to be a thought in our head. A lot of this stuff is, you know, to quote George Bernard Shaw, this is the true joy in life being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. Like most of the time we are that clod. (laughs) Mm. It's a great, and and that's kind of like the the, the little T thinking, you know, that it's this kind of, um, the, the mental image that comes to mind is, being a parent of the small children with like a minivan and all the small children are bitching and fighting in the back seats. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. And whereas if, you know, the thinking with a big T, these are the times when we are inspired, we are in creative. This is the sort of thing which happens when we're not really thinking of anything and all of a sudden just something just comes through and we go, huh, Oh, you know, it can be like a, just a little insight. Oh, I hadn't thought of it this way. You know, you said earlier on when I just made that little thing about things being permanent, there was just a little thing of, oh, mm. you know, those kinds of thoughts and thinking, the sorts of things that make you go, oh, actually, I want to start this or, oh, actually, I think I need to stop that. You know, being nudged by the universe, you know, in a game of almost like hotter and colder, mm-hmm. you know towards something which is in alignment with our true selves and it is this thing of being able to make space for this latter kind of thinking um and not just for ourselves as well that one of my favorite books and actually the book which which primarily influenced michael um is by george pransky the uh, the relationship handbook and in it, there's a story he talks about a couple being on holiday or coming back from holiday and the wife saying that, you know, I just want to feel closer to you. And the husband going, well, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. What do you? And she said, but yeah, but when we're on holiday, you know, I can, I can feel you being here more. And actually, that's the, the quality of intimacy. It's not just spending time with others. It's actually spending time with others while neither you have neither of you have an awful lot on your minds. Because that is so often what takes us out of presence with others is because, you know, I for me, me personally, I'm thinking about stuff I should have done in the past. I'm worrying about things that I should have done, worrying about oh, they're thinking about things I should do in the future, rather than just allowing all of my capacity to be fully focused in the here and now and responsive in real time to another person. And I think, you know, this is what really 
brings home for me the importance of questioning our thinking. Not only is it about making a life better for ourselves, but having an increased capacity for life itself and to be with others. And on that note. And on that note, I think, you know, what I'd love to close with is is just a line from uh, Ryan Holiday. Because when thinking about thinking about our thinking in this in, in the way that we do, there can be uh, it could be easy to leave with this belief that oh I really must silence my mind. And you know again you know so many people have tried meditation and mindfulness and found that impossible. And I find this um, phrase very helpful. It was never about achieving perfect silence. But what happens when you stop contributing to the noise? The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, whichever way is easiest for you. Take care. And do join us again next week on the A to Z of happiness. Mm-hmm.